Please bow with me in prayer. Gracious God, we come before you today, and Lord, we thank you for this new year, a year filled with possibilities, and Lord, a year in which we have great expectations for what you're going to do in us and through us. And Lord, we thank you that although much in life changes, you don't. You're always there for us. You never leave us or forsake us. And so, Father, right now, as we embark on this new year and this new journey that's ahead of us, we put a stake in the ground. And we cling to you in faith. And we acknowledge that whatever comes this year, that we will continue to hold unswervingly to you, trusting that you love us, trusting that you care for us, and trusting that no matter what, you will always be there and will be on our side. All these things we give you thanks and we give you praise this morning. It's in Christ's name and to his honor and glory we ask all these things. And together all God's people said. Well, this morning we're going to have two passages of, of Scripture. The first is a prophecy from the book of Isaiah. We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. And then we're going to be turning over to Matthew's Gospel, the second chapter, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 12. But first, Isaiah, the 60th chapter, verses 1 through 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together, they come to you. Your son shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. When you shall see, then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebioth shall minister to you. They shall be acceptable on my altar, and I will glorify my glorious house. Then Matthew's Gospel, the second chapter. I'm going to be reading again verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is this child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and worship him and bring him homage. When they had heard, that the king, heard this from the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
when they saw the, the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. And opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning. And Lord, as we bow before you, our praise, your praise is on our lips. We give you thanks and praise for who you are, for the ways that prophecy came to fulfillment. Lord, for how even this morning we see the prophecies of Isaiah's 60th chapter come to fruition as the wise men from the east come as they bring these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And Lord, today as we come for worship, we don't have gold that we bring with us. We don't have frankincense or myrrh. But Lord, we come with our lives, we come with the time, the talents, the resources that you have given to us. And Lord, we pray that today you would take what we have, the gifts that we lay before you, and Lord, that you would multiply them and use them in such a way that your kingdom would come and your will would be done, both on earth and in heaven. And so, Father, today, in the remainder of our time, we pray that as we open your word, as, as we hear again, hear again bits and pieces of the greatest story ever told, that, Lord, you would capture our attention, that you would increase our faith, and that you would help us to fall more in love with you. Lord, in these moments to come, open our eyes that we would see, unclog our ears that we might hear, and give us lives that are ready to take your truth and apply it to the honor and the glory of your name. And together, all God's people said, Amen. Well, earlier this week, I was talking with a friend of mine, a colleague who's been in ministry even longer than I have. And between us, we've preached hundreds of sermons. And we were talking about Christmas, and we were reflecting on the Advent season, and things that went well, and things that we would change. And we were sharing stories from Christmas's past. And he was telling me about this one time he was preaching. And it was on this passage that we're looking at today from Matthew chapter 2, the Magi from the East who are coming to worship the Christ child. And he was so excited because he found this refrain, and it's one that I'm going to utilize this morning. I loved it so much. It's follow that star, follow that star. And so he's up there preaching, and everyone's listening with rapt attention, and he can see that people are getting the point that he's trying to make. And his children are out there in the audience, and he is so excited because his children are listening. And I have to say, as a pastor, sometimes I look out and I wonder if my kids are listening because they have that glazed over look. It's like, oh, there's dad again. Well, he said, man, they were just tuned in. So they got home from church and they were talking about how things went and what they learned in Sunday school and all the lessons that they had learned. And they said, dad, the sermon was really good today. And that whole thing about follow the star, follow the star, we loved it. And and then he looked at his kids and he said, well, what else did you take away from that? And his one said, well, his one, said, his one son who was the youngest said, well, dad, I learned that if I follow that star and if I follow that star, I'll be able to pet the ham. You see, they were talking about Bethlehem. And he thought it was pet the ham. 
I hope this morning you go home and you don't want to pet the hand, but that you want to follow that star. That you want to encounter Christ and fall more in love with Him. But for me, that was a good reminder that sometimes what we say and what we preach isn't always what is heard. And so I pray that even where I fail to accurately speak today, that God will speak fresh and anew to your hearts and lives. As I said, we're going to be honing in on Matthew's second chapter this morning. And as the second chapter of Matthew's Gospel unfolds, it begins with these wise men who are coming from the East. These are men who are very much out of place in our Gospel lesson for a number of reasons. Matthew describes them as magi from the East. And magi is just this really nice way of saying that these are astrologers. They watched the heavens and looked for signs and signals and things that they would interpret. These folks seem to specifically be about the work of dream interpretation. Most likely they came from the land of Persia. And I say that they're out of place because Israel has a long history of mistrust when it comes to astrologers and sorcerers and magicians and the like. In fact, back in the Old Testament, it was clear that if you practice these things, if you practice these kinds of arts, then you were considered a witch or a sorcerer, and that meant that you could be put to death for doing these sorts of things. Yet in spite of this, Matthew, who's writing his Gospel to a primarily Jewish audience, he includes this account of these wise men, these sorcerers, these astrologers, these magicians from the East. They've become a beloved part of the Christmas story as most of us know it. But sometime after Jesus had been born, these magi, these wise men from the East, they saw this star appear on the horizon. And this star, according to Scripture, was unlike any other that was shining in the, in the sky. And so they decided to pack their bags. They decided to pack up the things that they own and to follow that star. To follow that star. Now their journey probably took a number of years as they had a great distance to travel. But eventually they were led to Jerusalem. And when they arrive in Jerusalem, Scripture says they speak to Herod the Great. And they ask him where they might find this king of the Jews who had been born. This one that they had been searching for. You see, they had traveled all this way with the purpose of worshiping Him, of bowing down before Him, of giving Him glory, honor, praise, the homage that He was due. Now the interesting thing is, Herod seemed to know nothing about any of this. And in fact, as the wise men described why they had come to worship, as they share with Herod about this star and their travels and their journey, Herod and the entire city of Jerusalem are thrown into a tizzy, Scripture says. They're very much afraid. And so Herod goes and he consults his advisors. He speaks with the chief priest. He goes and he addresses the teachers of the law. He goes to the most learned and the most religious leaders that he can find in hopes of finding out where this long-awaited, much-anticipated Messiah and Savior, this King, had been born. Now, having been told about the prophecy, having found out exactly all that was taking place, Herod convened a meeting with these magi. And it seems like this was a meeting that took place behind closed doors. Not a lot of people were invited in to hear the conversation that took place. 
but he questioned them. He had questions for them about the star and when it appeared and why they started to follow it. And then following that line of questioning, Herod continued to ask them about their journey, ask them various details about where their travels had taken them. Once they found out who they were searching for, he said, once you go find that individual, once you go find him, come back and report to me. Tell me everything that you've seen, everything that you've heard, everything that you have experienced so that I too might go pay homage, so that I too might go and worship him. You see that refrain, follow that star. Follow that star. That was the driving force for these magi, these wise men. And now Herod is saying, continue to follow that star, follow that star, that I too might follow that star. And indeed, the magi were on a quest. We know it. This star was their compass. This star was their guide. Equipped with the knowledge of the Old Testament prophecies and following this star, they went to Bethlehem. They went and found the Christ whom they were seeking. They found the one whom the prophets had spoken about. See, the magi, they were on a quest, and theirs was a quest of faith. Follow that star, follow that star. They followed that star with every bit of faith they could muster. But Herod, Herod was on a journey as well. We have to be honest about that. Vicariously, he sends the Magi out in his place, in his stead, to do the journey that he himself should have done. But he chose to remain in Jerusalem. He made the decision to stay in his cozy palace while they went out and searched. He made the decision to sit comfortably on his throne, this symbol of power and authority, when they went out to search, to worship, and humble themselves before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, Herod was on a quest. He was on a quest to achieve power, to retain his authority, to continue to be the one in charge. Follow that star. Follow that star. For Herod, that meant something very different than it did for those, than for those magi from the east. But regardless, with Herod's blessing, these magi, they set out. They set out on their journey. They continue to follow that star. They make their way to Bethlehem, the star shining overhead, and the star comes to rest over the place where the Christ is, and they find the Messiah. Savior of the world, the King of kings and Lord of lords, He's there with His mother. So the magi go in. They go into this place where Mary and the Christ child are. They find Jesus. And they look the Messiah, the Savior of the world, in the eyes. The Magi worshipped Him in that moment. They worshipped Him. They praised Him. They knelt down before Him. And they gave Him the gifts that they had brought. Gifts of gold. Gifts of frankincense and myrrh. They gave all to Christ. At the close of their trip, they packed up their remaining possessions. They packed their bags and they returned home. 
They don't go back to Jerusalem. They don't go back to Herod's palace because they've been warned in a dream not to do so. They go home by way of a different direction. And the identity of Jesus is preserved. But Herod's journey would also take a different path. Having not received the news that he hoped for, having not had these magi come and report back to him, he gets sent into a rage. And he travels down a road that leads to madness and murder. Realizing that his time in the spotlight is fading, realizing that there is a king who is greater than him, Herod tried to clutch. He tried to keep what little bit of control he still could. And so he commissioned a group of soldiers to go and carry out a horrific scheme. A scheme that would result in the killing of innocent children for no other reason that they might possibly be this Messiah. Follow that star. Follow that star. See, later on this week, January 6th, which is Thursday, we're going to celebrate and we're going to begin this season of the church year known as Epiphany. And during Epiphany, we rejoice with the Magi at the revelation that the Messiah and Savior has come. And we long grab hold of and lay hold of by faith that incredible revelation that changed their lives forever. It's a time for us, like these Magi, to look at the compass that we're following and to ask ourselves whether our life is really following a course that leads us closer to Christ or, as Herod found, led him further away from Christ. This week I was reminded of Dallas Willard, someone I used to love to read. He was this devout Christian who taught philosophy at the University of Southern California. And he said that when someone came up to him and asked what it meant to be a Christian, he said it means being a disciple of Jesus. And what he meant by that was very much bound up in the Jewish idea of discipleship, of following a rabbi, of attaching yourself to a teacher or master and learning from them. But it wasn't that you were just learning lessons from that master. It wasn't just that you would hear them speak and you'd sit there with your notepad and jot things down. No, this idea of discipleship, it meant that you emulated your master. You followed them around. You attached yourself so closely to them that you began to look like them. You began to speak like them. You, you, you would eat the things that they ate. You would drink the things that they drank. The idea was that you would become one with the master. And really, that was the disciples' goal, wasn't it? It was to become just like Jesus. And that should be our goal as well in this, in this journey of discipleship. But what's interesting is teaching at a school where there were a lot who didn't believe in Christ, a number of his students found out that he was not only incredibly smart, that he, but that he followed Christ, and they would ask him why. And Willard would go, and in return he would say, well, why not? better to follow? You've got someone else in mind? And then sometimes he'd follow that up. He'd say, is the philosopher Plato a better person to follow? Or maybe Oprah? Or Dr. Phil? Or maybe the richest person around? I mean, let's face it. A lot of these folks do a lot of good things. 
See, it comes down following that star. Following that star. And if Dallas Willard were here today, I'm sure he would ask that question, is there a better star to follow? See, each and every one of us is going to seek after. Each and every one of us is going to follow or chase after something or someone in life. And who we hitch our wagons to, that star that guides us, it matters a great deal. There are a plethora of reasons why we could choose to follow one star over another. There are reasons why, like Herod, we might feel like we need to circle the wagons and just clutch to whatever we have in life. Or there might be a reason to follow another star in hopes of finding wealth and prosperity. Or maybe to chase after another star in hopes of finding happiness or discovering ourselves for the very first time. See, there are any number of stars that we could follow. Like my friend's little son, you might choose to follow a star that leads you to pet the ham. I don't know. This morning, there is a star that you're chasing after. There's something that you're seeking. Herod, Herod tried to keep what he had. Magi, though, they were following that star. They were following that star because they believed at the other end was the Messiah, the Savior, the one whom the prophets spoke of. And they believed that once they encountered him, their lives would be forever changed. This season of Epiphany, this season of Epiphany that we're about to enter into, it's like that star of Bethlehem. It points us to Jesus and it declares, follow him. Follow that star. And friends, as Christians, we follow Jesus because we, he, we believe that He is the way, that He is the truth, that He is the life. Amen? We follow that star. We follow that star. I would encourage you over these next few moments, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to ask that question. Who is it that I'm following today? What is it that I'm chasing after? And if you're following after or seeking after anything other than Jesus, if you're following a multitude of stars that are out there, today can be a turning point in your life. Today can be that day where you say, you know what, I am done chasing after these other things. No. I'm going to follow Christ and He alone. Today, you can be like the Magi who make that discovery, who bow down and worship, and whose lives are forever changed because of that encounter. Today, like the Magi, you can discover that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Messiah, that He is the way. That he is the truth that you've been seeking and searching after, and He is the source of life that you've been hoping to find. I ask you again, who is it that you're following? What is it that you're seeking and searching after today? Let's pray.